but I got informed of it later. Uh, John Cease, who heads up our Awana group, so you see him out there uh, every Sunday night when you come in, his, his oldest, his daughter, um, sometimes she sings with the praise team stuff, but she was uh, kind of, you know, sick this morning, had sore throat, stuff like that, um, strep throat, he said, and therefore had been dehydrated, not drinking. So she kind of, she had some, you know, a moment uh, pause of, um, um, you know, just kind of passing out this morning. But she's, they, you know, John says she's good now, but I think, you know, I just let us know to be praying for her and uh, praying for others that, you know, are struggling through this uh, winter season and everything that's going on. And uh, so let me uh, open us with a word of prayer and then uh, Brian, you can come up and, and lead us. Father, I thank you, Lord, we come tonight. <clears throat> thank you that we can give our lives over to you. But uh, Lord, more than that, through prayer and through our faith in you, our trust in your word, um, we can see you work in other people's lives. And uh, Father, we know that, like the Bible says, you have not uh, called, told us to, to pray in vain. You've not told us to call on your name in vain. And so, Father, we do call upon you. We call upon you for all the situations in our lives. Uh, Father, that we need your help. We need you to step in. Um, we, we need to see the activity of your grace operating. Lord, where we walk, where we work, and the things we're doing, and also in the lives of people that we love. So, Father, we give all these things to you tonight. We know that we can tr trust in you to bring the best to pass, uh, Lord, as we're walking with you. And so, Father, we pray you would instruct us out of your word even tonight uh, as we give you this time together. Uh, Lord, we ask you to be with the Iwana teachers, be with the kids. And, uh, and uh, Lord, help, help them to build the word of God into those young lives this evening. For I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Always appreciate a hymn on Sunday night that's not in too high a key. <clears throat> because between Sunday morning and Sunday night, my, my voice goes down uh, a couple of registers. Did everybody get handout as they came in? If you didn't, I have some extra ones up here. Anybody, just raise your hand if you need a handout. So we're going to be in, in Psalm 119, and it, it, it has been a week or two since we've been able to be here. So I'm going to kind of walk us up to where we're at now, starting the second section of this psalm. So, you know, it goes in eight verse segments. And so, uh, you know, we have finished the first eight verses. We're getting ready to start uh, on verse nine. And so at the same moment that we are active in here and letting the word of God change us, we have a Sunday night Bible club for kids. It's called AWANA. And AWANA is an acronym. And those letters mean approved workmen are not ashamed. And uh, that comes from Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Uh, the five guiding principles for Awana are, number one, centered on the gospel. Number two, scripture memory is key. Number three, make it fun and interesting. Uh, now, I, I, you know, I'll say that's, that's kind of my philosophy of preaching right here. Uh, make it fun and interesting. Number four, train children and youth to serve. And number five, build on strong leadership. And whenever they talk about that second guiding principle that scripture memory is key, they give the example, as the example, the passage that is before us now tonight in Psalm 
119, verses 9 to 16. And I uh, so praise the Lord, people that work with our kids, both during the day and again at night. And, you know, I just I, uh, had the opportunity to go out and take, take some, uh, some of our volunteers and some others out today to lunch. And some of them have some really young kids. And um, so I just sat down at the end of the table with all the kids. And, you know, I think about Jesus and I think, you know, what were the things that really rejuvenated him? Well, you know, he got up early in the morning and went in the mountain to pray. Okay, I, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if that rejuvenated him, but, uh, uh, you know, that, certainly that's good to do. Um, occasionally, he would tell the disciples and say, hey, you know, we need to get away and rest. I'm, I'm not sure they rejuvenated him. I'm just saying, I'm not sure that they really rejuvenated him. I think that Jesus was rejuvenated at the time that he spent with young children. And, and that, you know, he was in their presence and they were in his and he's playing around with them and blessing them and all of that. And so I always, I, I, you know, admire highly those that we have in the church that are working with our kids on, on any level. Uh, turn, if you will, to 2 Samuel chapter 20 uh, before we get here to Psalm 119. 2 Samuel 20. Uh, Psalm 119 is good for a number of other reasons. For example... Uh, George Weishart was a bishop of Edinburgh in the 1660s. Now, at one point, uh, he was condemned to death. You know, the Reformation kind of went back and forth, both in England and Scotland, uh, you know, and other places there. And so he was, he was condemned to death, and so he was standing for execution. And when he was on the scaffold, he made use of the custom that allowed the condemned person to choose one psalm to be sung. And they had to sing that psalm before they could execute him. And so he chose Psalm 119. And before they got two-thirds of the way through, a pardon came in from the king and his life was spared. So so that's a good use of this psalm. Um, I think that Psalm 119 was probably composed by David near the end of his life. I'm going to say near the time of Sheba's rebellion. Now, not, not Beersheba, uh, not Bathsheba, and not the queen of Sheba. But here in 2 Samuel chapter 20, this Sheba, 2 Samuel 20 verse 1, and there happened to be there a man of Belial whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. Okay, so Benjamite, that puts him in the same tribe as Saul, the king prior to David, and he blew a trumpet and said, we have no part in David, neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tent, so Israel. So every man of Israel went up from after David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah clave unto their king from Jordan, even to Jerusalem. So this is immediately after the rebellion of David's son Absalom, where he executed a palace coup and was uh, taking and kicking David out. And David is about 63 years of age. He is surrounded by wickedness. He is pursued by the arrogant and the proud. And he's humbled by sorrow and disgrace. And yet his refuge is God. I think that I think that's the circumstances and historical context that Psalm 119 comes out of. 
we have uh, a skeleton, right? All of us. We are soft on the outside, and the hard stuff is on the inside. Um, uh, insects and an Iron Man that's reversed, and the soft stuff is on the inside, and the hard stuff is on the outside. We call that an exoskeleton. Psalm 119 has an exoskeleton, like an insect does, and this is how God is so perfect in all his ways, because basically that exoskeleton's like an Iron Man suit, and so... So we have the bones within, sinews and ligaments on the outside and, and, and organs, you know, inside. But Psalm 119 has external framework and the separate verses are all tied together by the Hebrew letters of their alphabet. And tie, the whole psalm is tied together in an alphabetic acrostic. So again, just to remind you where we're coming from and walk you up here to uh, where we're at in uh, verse 9, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, an acrostic is where each successive section of eight verses all begin with the next letter. So Psalm 119, there are uh, eight other acrostic psalms in the book of Psalms, parallel patterns. Uh, in that, Psalms 9 and 10 are a broken acrostic because they got some letters missing. But the Hebrew alphabet runs through those two Psalms, Psalm 9 and 10. Psalm 25 is kind of irregular uh, acrostic. Psalm 34 skips one letter. Psalm 37, Psalm 111, Psalm 112 are uh, uh, entire parallel patterns using the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There are only two other places outside of the Psalms where God uses that technique to teach us things. Proverbs 31, in the um, section of Proverbs 31 that talks about the virtuous woman. So from verses 10 to 31, those 22 verses match the 22 letters in talking about the virtuous woman who's a type or a picture of the church. Lamentations chapters 1, 2, and 4. There are 22 verses for 22 letters. In chapter 3, there are 3 times 22. Uh, in chapter 5, there are 22 verses, but those are not in an acrostic. So Lamentations would be another spot. God's people knew from, if you look back in Psalm 119, if you look just back up in verse 2, God's people knew they had to do more than just keep his statutes. Psalm 119 verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies. Okay, so they got to do that, but you got to do more than that because you've got to seek him with all your heart, verse 2, and that seek him with the whole heart. So an, an alphabetic acrostic kind of emphasizes the totality of a subject and you giving all of yourself to it. And it's not just a handhold, it's a handhold, it's a foothold, it's, you know, I think, I think what I would liken, um, uh, what I would liken a, a, an excursus through the, through Psalm 119 to is, is I would liken it to maybe, uh, a climbing a rock face, a sheer rock face. Uh, you know, or going out to one of the, you know, one of those places where you can do rock climbing and you've got, 
you've got both hands and both feet fully involved and you can only move one at a time and then you got to get three three more secure spots before you you know move another item and you're kind of just totally out there and that is the opportunity i'm going to say that particularly these acrostic spots in the bible give to us they cover everything from from a to z from 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 a to z from aleph to taw in in the hebrew in Psalm 119, each stanza of eight verses uh, has, has the same Hebrew letter it's coming from, and there are 22 stanzas. Uh, each verse typically has two couplets, and the first couplet always starts with that particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet for that particular stanza. So... Hebrews, 22 letters, 22 times 8, that's 176 verses. So why 8 verses in each stanza? I mean, why just pick 8? Why not have 7? Why not have 6? Why do you you have 8 verses? Well, there is a numerology to the Bible. It's um, It's not like the divination type numerology that some people get into, but there is, the Bible has a doctrine of numbers contained within it. And so uh, eight is an important number because um, the, uh, the, the number eight is like for new beginnings. Seven, seven, the word seven in Hebrew is Shiva. Shiva means full, it means complete, it means satisfied, it means more than enough. So we take seven in biblical numerology to, uh, to be the number of completeness, the number of perfection. The word for eight is Shimona. Okay, so like, how many 80s? How many 80s babies we got? And you're thinking of the knack right now. My Shimona. No, Sharona. Okay, well, uh, at any rate... So that word, Shimona, which is the word for eight, also means to be fat, to, to superabound. So, so seven is enough. You know, God's word is more than enough. And, and so eight, uh, so we go eight, it's a new beginning. Eight is the first cubic number more than a square uh, and it's also the number of resurrection. And so in biblical numerology, the eight is the beginning of a new world order. And so we have in Psalm 119, the spiritual new world order, a new life order based on devotion to God's word. Because God's word is representative of God's presence. And I know we can conjure up in our minds as human beings all sorts of spooky things about the presence of God or how we get it. And, and in some other churches they do. And, uh, you know, you can watch them crawl around barking and they say that is revival and that's God's presence. There are barking revivals and there are laughing revivals and... And, uh, you know, there are, uh, you know, certain of those type of preachers that, you know, take off their coat and sling it and, 
supposedly the Holy Spirit just knocks you down and, uh, you know, then, then you observe that out of the, all of those first three rows that fell down backwards, those are the same people who came off the plane with him and will get back on the plane to go back uh, where they came from with him. And so it's all just really an act. And, you know, they discover, okay, well, um, you know, there's, there's some of that. But if you really want God's presence, his presence is represented to us in this life by his word. I mentioned this morning I'd read a blog that said, okay, here's seven reasons why the Bible is not the inerrant word of God. And one of the reasons, I thought, pretty lame one, but one of the reasons they said, well, you know, the Bible really doesn't claim that. Now, I, I dispute that. I think the person who was writing this blog was a little bit deficient in their Bible knowledge. A seminary degree, though, that they had. But, but what they said was, you know, what the Bible says is that Jesus is inerrant. And what they quoted was John chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was, and I, you know, I thought, okay, but now hold it. I, and I understand that that's talking about Jesus. But it doesn't say in the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. It says in the beginning was the Word. Now, I know from verse 14 that the Word is Jesus. I understand that, but it doesn't say Jesus. It says the Word. The Word of God is the physical representative of the presence of God to us in this life. To the Israelite in the Old Testament times, the law represented the fullness of God's revelation to all of humanity, but, but coming through the Jews. To the Christian, that fullness is represented in Christ, the Word become flesh, John 1.14, but the key is still the Word. So, so don't tell me what you think it means if you can't even read what it says. In the beginning was the Word. And so the number eight in the Word has the meaning of resurrection. Death is gone and new life has come and Israel has passed from death to life and now extols the Word of life, the, the law of God in its completeness. And the time has come when the Lord spoke through Jeremiah the prophet concerning a new covenant being fulfilled. And so now it's here and nothing could more perfectly display the fertility, the fatness, the fullness of the word and will of God than these 22 segments of eight so the word that's at the top of each stanza in a King James Bible, typically you'll see the Hebrew name for that letter that is at the top of each stanza or each segment. And uh, uh, why, do, why do they do that? Why did the you know, King James Bible do that? Well, because no matter how chaotic your life, no matter how confused you feel, God is always, he always has everything under control and ordered for his glory and ordered for your ultimate good. 
I mean, we don't see the exoskeleton, but it's there. And it's drawing it all together. And we don't have to understand what's happening in order for God to have his own pattern in it. God can have his own pattern in it, and and we don't even have to know why. So, you know, I think you reach a, a little higher level of maturity in your Christianity where you get to that spot where it's just good enough that God did it. You know, we always want to, you know, we ask the question, why? Well, God, why this and why that? You know, but some, you know, I have to reach a point eventually where it's just good enough that God did it. You don't have to know why in order to know he has a purpose, in order to know he has a plan, in order to know that there is a structure that you may not see, but, but that he is following providentially, and you can trust yourself to God's grace and to the word of his grace, and, and everything's going to turn out fine. After all, 66... 66 of the 176 verses in the psalm refer to affliction. They refer to pain, to tribulation, to to suffering. Henry Martin was a missionary, and uh, he kept a journal. And now this is not recent times. This was, you know, back in the pioneering days of uh, missionary work. And Henry Martin went out, he he kept a journal... And uh, so in one uh, part of his journal, you read, uh, you know, you read things like this. I found some devotion in learning a part of Psalm 119. On another day, he writes, in the evening I grew better by reading the 119th Psalm, which generally brings me into a spiritual state of mind. Now, I know that you're just like I am. There are moments in my day when I am not in a spiritual state of mind. You know, and I wish it weren't this way, but it's kind of like my my mom had this saying, my mom used to say, well, that would make a preacher cuss. And, And I now understand what she meant, and I wish it weren't that way, but it is amazing what little things can get under our skin. And even though you don't let it out of your mouth, you know, in your mind, you're just, you know, you're just going there, and I know I'm not in a spiritual state of mind, uh, but Henry Martin found that when he would get into the 119th Psalm, it would bring him back into a spiritual state of mind. Another place he writes and says, again, in a fretful frame of mind. Okay, so anxious, anxiety. Uh, it was not till I learned some of Psalm 119 that I could return to a proper spirit. Matthew Henry, um, you know, you still get his commentary. Now, he wrote back in the 1700s, but it's still one of the best devotional commentaries out there. His father said, all grace grows as a love for the word of God grows. So as your love for the word of God grows, grace will grow in your life. So what David does, um, you know, he has, he has determined to do completely because the heart is mentioned 14 times, six times referring to his whole heart. Uh, so here we are in Psalm 119, verse, starting in verse 9. 
the psalmist is persecuted by men of rank and authority. That's why I put it at this period, you know, the time of David's life that we mentioned. Uh, they are ridiculing his faith. They are seeking to put him to shame. They want to try and make him give up his God. And we see how he unburdens himself in this psalm and particularly in this section and strengthens himself by meditating on the word. Because it was the word of God which was his comfort. It was the word which was his prized possession. It was the word which was his rule of life. It was the word which was his resource of power. And all of that drove him to desire it even more and more and more. The Hebrew word Torah. So the Jews referred to their Old Testament as the Torah. First five books of Moses, the Torah. And that word Torah has a wider definition, like in Psalm 1 and Psalm 19, where it means all divine revelation as the guide of life. So it's translated here in Psalm 119 as law. So you see, we go through and you see it translated law. And David's talking about the law over and over. And don't get in your mind that that means just, well, like the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses uh, you know, there are three layers of law in the Old Testament under Moses, and there was a civil law, and there was a liturgical religious law, and, and uh, um, uh, there was the Ten Commandments, a moral law. And so moral, civil, religious, it was like, no, that's too much. That's not exactly what David means when he uses the word law. It's that broader definition of all of God's revelation as a divine guiding light in our life. Some Hebrew scholars point to coincidences between the language of Psalm 119 and the history in Ezra's time, and I think what that tells me is that Ezra may have been the editor who put David's thoughts into their final form in this spot as the 119th Psalm. The theme is the excellence of God's law, the excellence of divine law, meaning God's word, meaning the importance of the idea of biblical authority in your life. So these 22 sections can be seen in three groups of seven sections, followed by a last segment. So 7, 14, 21, then a final 22nd segment as an appendix. So this is kind of the dissection of Psalm 119. Uh, if, you wanna, if, if you want me to outline the psalm as a whole, I'd say, okay, first... The Word and the Soul, verses 1 to 56. Second, the Word and Society, verses 57 to 112. Third, the Word and the Sanctuary, verses 113 to 168. And then the Word and the Shepherd, verses 169 to 176. Is that on your handout? Probably not. I guess I don't have a slide for it either. So I know I'm going to get complaints from all the type A people if I do not go through that again. So, so first, so, okay, so first, verses 1 to 56, the word of God and your soul. Then verses 57 to 112, the word of God and society. 
Then verses 113 to 168, the word of God and the sanctuary. And then verses 169 to 176, the word of God and the shepherd. The second letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the word bait. Now, I mean, it's spelled Beth, but it's pronounced Beit, and um, actually the word means a house. Um, Aleph, the first letter, meant an ox, and you can kind of see that on the far left side of those Hebrew letter representations. So the oldest Paleo-Hebrew, you can see it kind of look like, okay, I can. that's kind of a, an oxen's, uh, you know, triangular face and yet it's got horns coming out on the side okay and that you know changed a little bit over over time um but so olive an ox bait a house which for them typically at that time was a tent and so every verse in this section starts with that second letter of the hebrew alphabet and you can see at the head of verse 9, the pictograph for the letter bait, which represents a house, kind of has a window or a door there on the left side, uh, uh, representing hospitality and openness. And Jewish rabbis say that this letter is the letter of blessing and beginning and fellowship and, and house. And Why? Well, because the Jewish Torah starts with the letter Beit. In, so Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I mean, even if you wanted to look there really quick. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What are the first three words of your Bible? In the beginning. That's one word in the Hebrew. Bereshit. Bereshit starts with ba. Bait, the, the letter B, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I mean, that's, that, that starts off the whole word of God. That one word phrase in the Hebrew Bereshit or in the beginning, and that is why this letter is also associated with creation. So now, now if we think about, okay, one, you've got one. So with the letter two, you have to have two, at least two, in order to have fellowship. But bait also being a numerical value of two represents kind of duality or paradox. Why? Because there are two worlds. There's the world now and the world to come. There is the world we live in in the present. There's the world of eternity that we're going to and an awareness of God's purpose for eternity. And also the first two letters taken together, Aleph and Beit, is the word Father. Ab, Abba. Aleph and Beit, Abba, Father. So this section is a picture of how Jesus, the Word, is the master of our house. So watch, just survey this section with me before we get into it really quickly here. Just survey the section. If the question is, how can a person keep God's Word, especially when you're young 
and full of hormones, uh, or you're old and having a midlife crisis, and and you know there's all of this stuff that drives sexual temptation and you know midlife crisis, you know, wanting to, in your mind, take you back to a lust for youth or, you know, older and and full of covetousness that's driving greed. Well, verse 9, the answer is that same word which commands also enables. So the one who commands us to act and walk in a certain way enables us to do that. So the emphasis is on the power of the word. It has power to purify, verse 9. Okay, watch, just just a survey. Power to purify, verse 9. Power to restrain us from wandering, verse 10. Uh, Power to keep us from sin, verse 11. Uh, This evokes a further outburst of praise, verse 12. And rejoicing, verse 14. So God's word comes to be supreme in our speech, verse 13, in our thought, verse 15, and in our emotions, verse 16. Now I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. And um, also, I'm, I'm... you're the guinea pigs, uh, and you're the guinea pigs. We're going to do something a little bit, a little bit different, and you're the guinea pigs because um, I, I want to be able to unroll this idea out to our harvest team leaders as an idea that maybe they can capture and use uh, in their groups because I, I kind of feel like um, of all of our harvest teams, if anybody on any one of those teams could find even one person, even one lost person that wanted to come to a Bible study, they ought to start one. And if you were going to start a Bible study, and it was kind of evangelistic in the sense that, you know, you're inviting even the lost to come into your Bible study, uh, how would you do that? And uh, I think one, one way that you do that is by what, I, you know, I want us to maybe uh, practice tonight and then uh, see if I can invite all of our Harvest Team leaders uh, in with us on some Sunday night in the future and uh, watch us do this. So, 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 uh, so, I have uh, one other thing I want to hand out. So, could I get a couple of brown nosers? That could uh, give everybody one of these sheets here. So this is uh, back when I was a uh, college and career pastor. And I had guys in my class, like Sam Miles, who's pastor's Midtown, Baptist Temple. And um, uh, we uh, had a thing. We started a thing we called uh, Sons of Thunder. And it was just, it was only for the guys at that, at that moment. Now, we, later we expanded, but at that time it was only for the guys. And so I invite, you know, guys like Sam to come into my house and we would assign them a passage. And so they had to work on it through the week. And then when they came to my house, they each got like 10 minutes to preach that passage to us. And uh, if they had waited until the last minute to kind of put their thoughts together, that's always apparent. You always know when that's going on. And so we would uh, pretty much eviscerate each other if uh, that were done because we expected them to dig into and to get out of the 
words something special. So we called those groups Sons of Thunder. Later on, we expanded that to kind of the whole class, to like everybody in the class, guys or gals, and um, allowed them to do a, a similar type thing. Well, Midtown took that and they developed what they call Discovery Bible Studies. And Discovery Bible Studies, um, they will take, so they expanded that idea from just, you know, people in the church that might want to have a Bible study. They have various people out of Midtown who will start a Bible study in their home wherever they're at, or whatever part of the, the city that they're in, and invite people into it. Uh, even lost people that they know, and uh, just invite them to go through and study things with them. And the key thing is kind of based on the person leading the study, throwing out questions that people are going to answer. They're going to they're going to bring their concordance. They're going to get their um, you know they're going to get their digital um, um, reference tools, whatever they've got, treasure scripture knowledge, whatever. They're all going to study out together, and they're going to come to conclusions together. So. Um, this is a, this passage is a little bit different to uh, to work on that with, but I, I you know I, I want us to work on it in this way. First, everybody has the sheet that has these eight verses of Psalm one nineteen. Okay, item number one. I'm going to give you thirty seconds here or so. I want you to read silently those eight verses starting now. Okay, has so everybody had enough time? to read silently through those verses. So now I want one person to read each verse. Verse 9, who wants to read verse 9? Just stand up and read verse 9. Okay, verse 10. Somebody else stand up, read verse 10. Okay, verse 11, Michael. Verse 12. Next verse, anybody who hasn't read one yet. Verse 14. Verse 15. And Andrea, verse 16. Okay, so now you read it silently. Then we listened as other people read, verse by verse. So now I want to go down each verse, and I want you to tell me what are the verbs... In this passage, you know what a verb is? It's an action word, or, you know, sometimes a verbal. It, you know, it may be like, not just I go, but I go up, or I go out, and, and okay, a couple of, couple of words that might be involved in it. So with verse 9, and what I'm going to suggest is that you write the verb out to the side of this verse. Verse 9 what are you supposed to do? What's the verb? What's it talking about? So cleanse. Cleanse. Cleanse his way. A cleansed way. Okay. Verse 10. What's the verb? Okay, I've sought. Now, since verse 10 is a couplet here, uh, really it's got, I'm going to say, maybe a couple of couple of verbs in it. If I were to look at the second half of that couplet, yeah, so actually not wander, right? Not wander. So I'm going to gonna seek and not wander. Verse 11, 
And this one being a couplet again, it's got, it's got a couple of, I think, verbs or verbals hidden in there. And they are what? Hid. And not sin. So I'm going to hide something somewhere so I don't sin. Uh, verse 12, what's the verb? Teach, teach me. Verse 13, what's the verb? I've declared. Verse 14, what's the verb? I've rejoiced. Verse 15, what's the verb? When actually, here we are, a couplet again. It's got a couple of things. So, meditate so that I can have respect. Verse 16. Okay, so I'm going to delight so that I will not forget. Okay, so there's, so there's the verbs. Now, I want you to look back through it again. And I want, to think, I want you to think of it in these terms. What are all the warnings in this passage? What would you say the warnings are? Okay, so that's kind of a warning. Don't wander from God's commandments. We're not sinning, so a warning against wandering, a warning against sinning. Okay, that sounds good. So what, uh, what else? So to have, have respect, okay, so that's a, you know, make sure you have respect under certain things. Um, yeah, take heed, so that is a, that is a good warning. And, and to not forget, that's a good warning. Now, obviously, if we were in a, um, small group setting, and this were you know the type of Bible study that we might encourage some of the harvest teams to do and stuff like that, and uh, you might you know have anybody who walks off the street and um, you know might say any number of things. Um, the key is to be very uh, you know affirming, even where you have to kind of redirect things uh, you know based on input that they may give from any number of sources that they have had in their life uh, to this point. But we've got verbs in the passage. We've got things that it warns us about. Now I want you to look back through again. I want you to tell me what are all the words for the Bible in this particular section. I'm going to say probably every verse has a term by which it refers to the word of the Bible itself. So like verse 9. The word. Okay, verse, uh, verse 10. By commandments. Verse 11. So we got the word again. Verse 12. Statutes. Verse 13. Judgments. Verse 14. Testimonies, verse 15. Precepts, verse, you know, and I would say also, verse 15, I'd almost throw in a bonus. It's God's ways. But verse 16, statutes, and then also, you got another bonus, thy word. 
Okay, so we got the verbs, we've got the warnings, we've got the word, the names for the Bible. What would you say is the central theme? Or the now, now that we've gotten that far, we read through it silently, we listened to it read publicly, we have identified these different functions within the passage. What would you say is the theme or the central idea for these eight verses? So, yeah, so the Word of God is a big thing. Staying close to it. And that it will keep you out of sin if you do that. Which is kind of important stuff (laughs) when you stop and think about it. Because, you know, if if you think about what is destructive of life, you know, outside of physical disasters, what is destructive of uh, your 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 life in terms of how you live and what's going on and whether it's in your home or at your job or in school or you know what is it that is destructive for relationships ah it's kind of sin I mean so it's, that that is kind of a big deal and uh, you know and in asking that particular question obviously it doesn't necessarily state explicitly uh, so it's an open ended thing and I don't have you know anything in a in mind in advance necessarily, uh, except to say, okay, for us as a group, as we walk through this, you know, what do you think the central idea, what do you think the theme is? Um, one other, let's raise it up a level. Um, look back through this passage, think about it for a second, and I, and I, want, I want you to dissect it doctrinally for me. Dissect it doctrinally, meaning not a devotional application, inspirationally for us, not a historical application, what was happening in David's life at the time. But by doctrinal, I mean even a prophetic application. Um, what, what does this speak to the future for, for people who are going to need to rely on God's word to keep them out of sin. What, you know, dissect that, you know. Look at the passage. Think about it for a second. Tell me what might come to mind. Okay, so a relationship with Jesus. So let me, let me say that so let me just, this is just a, so I'm taking the frame here and I'm moving it 45 degrees. And what I'm saying is, take these eight verses and look at it even for what it might say for a future tribulation period for the Jews. If I were to do that, and then let's say I were to look at verse 9. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? And you know, and obviously that, you know, certainly has plenty of devotional application for any young men in the house or young ladies or old men uh, or old ladies. But if, if I were someone in the tribulation period, 
you know, God is pretty, pretty clear with the Jews. Um, don't be deceived by the false prophet and the Antichrist. And don't take his mark. When you get to the end of things and Jesus comes back, there is a judgment of two types of nations. Jesus calls them in Matthew 24, sheep and goats. Matthew 24, Matthew 25. and So all the nations are kind of brought into the valley of Jehoshaphat, a valley of decision. And uh, Jesus divides them this way by what they did for his brethren, the Jews, during the tribulation in order to enable them to survive without taking the mark. And what that tells me is that it could be that there are you know, plenty of uh, Gentiles. So I'm, the picture I'm thinking of, past historical picture, is um, let's say when Adolf Hitler, when the Nazis ruled Europe, fortress Europe. Okay, so when the, when the Nazis had occupied Europe. But that didn't prevent people like Corey Ten Boom's family and others from hiding Jews from the Nazis and trying to take care of them. And today, Israel recognizes those people as righteous, what they call righteous Gentiles. So let's, let's, let's say I'm in the tribulation. And I'm, you know, I'm not Jewish, I'm a Gentile. And, and God kind of fights fire with fire. And obviously the Antichrist is doing some nasty things. But at the same time, God, you know, at one point, you know, from our study in the book of Revelation, you'll remember that God has an angel fly through heaven preaching the gospel. So let's say I've heard that. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I see what's going on here. And I'm going to take, you know, if I'm given that opportunity and I've got to give them, even if, if it's just a cup of water, I'm going to do it. If, you know, whatever, if I, they're in prison, I need to visit them in, you know, prisons in, in, in that day. They don't feed you. Unless somebody brings you food, you starve to death. And so I'm going to, I'm going to visit, I'm going to take care, I'm going to hide them. I'm going to make sure that, that they can survive without taking the mark as best I can. But how do I cleanse my way? Particularly if I've already taken the mark. Well, I've got hope. Verse 9. You know, if I take heed according to the word of God, something happens that causes that tattoo to fade. And, And I've got some hope here. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, okay, and I'm a, I'm a Jew, and I'm, golly, I can't, you can't buy or sell. I mean, we're, you know, unless you have the particular passport of the Antichrist, you can't, you can't go into a store, you can't travel, you can't get, okay, what, 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 what have I got to do that I'm, I don't succumb to this? Well, I've got hope, verse 11. You know, maybe I just need to hide God, God's word in my heart. And that'll, that'll give me strength. And that, that'll keep me from sinning against him. Uh, you know, so, so that is another aspect. Looking back through the word of God for that future prophetic application. 
to say, okay, I think, you know, this may be teaching me something here. And I can learn, I can apply even and learn from the way it is speaking to somebody in the future as to how I should view it today. And if I will delight myself, like verse 16, if I'll delight myself in thy statutes, well, then I won't forget thy word when I'm in that moment of temptation and that moment when I'm about to give in and that, that moment when it seems like there is no other way out. So, you know, these are always to kind of approach the passage and look at it and in, uh, encourage other people to get involved in it and look at it. And um, if, if we were a harvest team or if we were a small group, we could do that a lot better and we can kind of share with each other. And uh, because at this point I would be saying, okay, get out your concordance. And uh, so, okay, you three, go over here, take your concordance and find out all the places that the word meditate is used. And let's grab those other places from the word of God and let's read them in here. And, oh, you three or you four, take a treasury of scripture knowledge. And, oh, that one verse, it's really kind of given us problems. Um, Look up all the cross-references listed for that verse and then come back and report to us in ten minutes. Uh, you know, and we'd have the opportunity to kind of do that together. And uh, so it's just an idea about how we can make a discovery Bible study, maybe even with our harvest teams. And um doesn't have to be Psalm 119, but whatever, whatever, whatever passage. The, you know, the way that we end that piece is to say, okay, so everybody comes back together. We've learned what we've learned, what we can learn, you know, about this segment of eight verses. And then throw out the question, okay, what are you going to do? What did this tell you about what you need to do? What do you need to do? God told you, God spoke to you. God God told you something tonight you know you need to do. What is it? What is it that you need to do? And, you know, and if we were in a small group, that might be something you'd want to share. Maybe it's something you don't want to share, but you know that... You know, God spoke something that you need to do, but uh, if you can share it, then that would encourage others um, uh, to also share, you know, what it is that they are going to do based upon what was seen here. Um, The other thing I am going to ask, if anyone would be willing to do, uh, I would like someone to summarize what we did tonight for everybody next Sunday night. Just take five minutes, ten minutes, so that I don't have to walk us through up to this spot. And one of you can take five or ten minutes and just summarize what we did tonight, and then we'll pick up and go from there. Any volunteers? Oh, I see that hand. So, okay, Garrett, you got it. And uh, next Sunday night, you'll get, we'll give you whatever, five, ten minutes up at the front. You can walk through uh, what we have done this evening. And uh, that way I won't have to do it. Um, 
that, you know, the last thing, if this were small group, if this were one of our harvest teams, and if this were a discovery Bible study, I'd say, okay, um, we need to activate this by prayer. So let's have one person pray each verse. You just pick what verse you want, and we'll go down verse by verse. And whoever gets, you know, has chosen verse 9, you pray verse 9 for all of us. And, uh, you know, we would just kind of walk down that way, these eight verses, one by one, and, uh, and go through and do that. Um, so that's kind of the model. And, it, you know, at some point, maybe we can perfect that. And, you know, I'd like to be able to invite our Harvest Team's leaders in and say, hey, you know, let me throw this, this idea out. If you can find even one person who will do a Bible study with you, start it. Start a Bible study and do it like this to bring them in and, you know, make it very question-oriented over a passage and, you know, encourage everybody, bring some tools, study tools with them and, uh, you know, to walk through it and bring it to a conclusion where, where you know, God has spoken. Everybody knows there, there's something they got to do based on what God has said, and then we're going to activate it by prayer, and uh, then be able to go on. So, um, so you be praying for that, and we'll see if we can get that out. Unfortunately, we are we are almost out of time. Let me just uh, do one or two things, and um, then we'll have to break it off, and we will act- we will actually get into verse nine. Uh, next Sunday night, then, uh, Lord willing. So, uh, so I want I want to tell you two or three things for us uh, that I'm going to give you as the assignment. So, uh, I think God has already spoken to you, and if we were to ask you to get up and speak, you'd probably tell what God's telling you to do. But you know, I'm a preacher, and it's hard for me to resist telling you what to do. So, I'm going to tell you what to do also. So. Um, so let me, uh, out, of this, out of this survey that we've done, initially of these eight verses, let me say, number one, make your heart a home for the Word of God. Now, as we talked about this morning, because if you're born again, your heart is already the home of the indwelling Holy Spirit. But he will not feel at home unless you are outfitting your house with the furnishings of God's word. So make your, so if this segment, if the letter B, if bait is a house, then make your heart a home for the word of God. Uh, secondly, I think that, you know, within verses 9 to 16, there are probably three foundational principles you need to use to build your Christian life. And, you know, for some of you, uh, this will just be a good for you to use and build your life. And for others of us, we are already drowning, and this is kind of the life preserver. So three things, num- so three things that you ought to use to build your Christian life that I get out of what this whole section as a whole is saying. Number one, desire. You've got to desire the right things. You have to have your desires in the right place. Uh, you really need to be desiring the Word of God. You really need to desire 
ultimately um, God's glory and and in his walk and his work in your life. And number two, demeanor. And actually you can use that to build your Christian life, your, your demeanor. I mean, either... This life is going to get over on you, and you know you're just all the time critical about what's happening and questioning God, or you're going to get over on this life, and your demeanor is going to show it. I mean, eventually, David does get down in verse 14 to rejoicing. Uh, so desire is important, demeanor is important, and number three, determination. And, um, you know, I would phrase it this way. I think determination is the highest form of discipleship. I think so. I think when you understand that the judgment seat of Christ means there are certain things you should do out of a sense of duty, uh, I think that's almost, I think that's kind of the highest form of discipleship because uh, it, it's really where the you know rubber meets the road so so desire demeanor determination earnestness outlook and resolve emotion attitude and endurance and if you do that and as you build your christian life it will make it clean verse 9 because the reading of the word of god brings the reader into fellowship with God, verse 10, and that is what results ultimately in a happy heart, verse 14. So if you want to make it to joyland, then verses 9 to 16 are the way to do it. And if you just even look back on the handout that we gave you tonight at the, the three foundational principles right there in our outline, because the result of you subjecting yourself to the authority of the Word of God is health of soul, that's desire, wholeness of life, that's your demeanor, and happiness of heart, that gives you determination, as you exercise patient endurance in the hard but right way. Because there's no other way but to trust and obey. Maybe that's what we need to sing next Sunday night. I don't know. So, okay, our time is up. Thank you for yours. Go ahead and stand. uh, Bump elbows with your neighbor if you're next to somebody. If you're not, that's okay. Just look like a chicken. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer. Because I I hear it sounds like the going of the spirit in the top of the mulberry trees out in the lobby so i think they're probably ready for us father i thank you tonight lord for your word thank you for the richness of it thank you that god it not only feeds us and sustains us lord it gives us the nourishment we need to have the strength lord that we've got to have or we will not make it lord it is as treacherous as perilous for the Christian in this life, at this moment, as it will be for the Jew in the tribulation, as it was for David at the time of, of uh, Sheba and the rebellion, as it was, has been for any Christian in any generation, uh, Lord, who, is, who, is, who has faced a crisis, has faced rough times in life, has faced affliction. Lord, we want to do it with the faith 
that we ought to have in you. There's no way to display that apart from our relationship in the Word of God. It's going to give us the strength to do that and enable us to do it with rejoicing and draw others to Jesus also. And so, Father, we pray you'd help us do that even this week. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.